It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX, your weekly source for X-Wing news and strategy. I'm Tim Dugan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Carson Ray. Hey, everybody. It's a great day to talk about X-Wing. And John McDermott. Hello, everybody. And uh, lots of news to cover this week. Um, Some really big news involving the future development of X-Wing. We're seeing a pretty big change there, so we're going to give our reaction to that and talk about a little bit about the implications of that and what we know so far. And then uh, we've been very inspired. All three of us have watched or been watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, and that kind of brought up memories of all those great chess comparisons we've drawn between X-Wing and uh, chess in the past. So I I thought we'd do a couple lessons that we've learned from chess and how we can apply them to X-Wing. Right. I mean, chess and X-Wing, basically the same game. So it's awesome that Netflix finally has a show about X-Wing. We're all really excited about that. Yeah, they're definitely both dice games for sure. Well, no, John, they're both (laughs) games of positioning. Uh, Yeah, but lots of interesting stuff to talk about, so I think we should get right on into it. All right, so the big news of the week for X-Wing fans is that uh, we're seeing a change in the development of X-Wing. It is no longer going to be developed by Fantasy Flight Games. It is moving over to Atomic Mass Games, uh, which I believe is another um, subsidiary of Asmodee North America. So same umbrella company, but Atomic Mass will be taking over all the uh, Star Wars licensed miniatures games, as far as I know. Right, and I think that's the first big thing to address here. It's still all under Asmodee, so I don't think there's really going to be any big disruptions in what we're going to be seeing um, with the X-Wing process, you know, getting new miniatures, um, organized play. I don't think there's really going to be any too big of changes, but obviously there's still going to be some changes uh, whenever you do have some sort of transition like this. Yeah, so I, I mean, like, I really think probably a lot of the production and stuff, I know people were worried about, like, miniature costs increases or, like, are things still going to be painted? I'm assuming most of that will be stay the same. Like, I think it would be likely that they wouldn't really change their process for actually producing the physical materials of the game. It seems like this is just some more of a business move they, they must have going on there. I don't, obviously, I'm not a business insider here, so I have no idea what prompted this exactly, but... Um, the team over at Atomic Mass will take over. Um, right now, I believe the only game that they are currently supporting was the pretty recent uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol, um, the Marvel Miniatures game. John, you've played that a bit, right? Yeah, so I actually think that Crisis Protocol is a pretty good game uh, as far as miniatures games go. I've played a couple of them at this point over the course of my gaming history. But um, you know, for anyone that also plays legion you know maybe you've noticed in the last couple months if you play both that um the the models themselves are very similar in sometimes cost and materials and production quality so uh, again like carson said i i wouldn't expect to see like a big change like on that front um x-wing's already got a pretty good miniatures line production going um, and the quality has always been there one of the appeals of x-wing is that you can take it right out of the box and play with it you don't have to build it and paint it um, and I, I don't see that changing, but uh, I think, you know, with the current work they've been doing on miniatures games, albeit limited, um, Atomic Mass Games is going to do a respectable job with these Star Wars games that we've known and loved. Yeah, and I think one of the 
the big concerns people have been having is about organized play, the future of organized play for X-Wing and the development of it. Um, we know that a lot of the people who had previously been working on X-Wing, uh, both in development and organized play, are no longer working for Asmodee or Fantasy Flight, um, which... You know, that's a that's a sad move right there. We, I do think we should say thank you to all those people because there's been a lot of people over the years that, uh, you know, the community's built relationships with who work, especially in organized play. I've always felt like the last couple of years they've really been upping the threshold there and supporting the game. And, uh, you know, a huge thank you to everyone who's worked on this game up to this point because, you know, the torch, I guess, is getting passed now and um, the burden's going to move on to someone else. But we can't forget the people who brought us up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. That was a team of people that really cared uh, quite a lot about the games that they made, and you could really tell uh, from the work that they did. So, you know, thank you to everybody at Fancy Flight who, you know, made this game awesome um, and made you know, our experiences at organized play events really fun. Uh, thank you, and we really appreciate that. Now, to the real question is, uh, what is Atomic Mass Games going to do with organized play? And that's been a point of speculation here in the community. Um, so much so that it actually prompted Atomic Mass Games to put out a statement regarding organized play for Star Wars games, which, you know, apart from the actual content of the statement, I felt was a pretty positive sign because to me that says they had their feelers out into the community so they knew this was something people were worried about. So, you know, within a few days of actually announcing um, their takeover of the Star Wars brand for these miniatures games, uh, they put something out there to kind of reassure people. Yeah, I mean, within a week of making that initial announcement, they actually acknowledged a pretty large community concern, which, I mean, I think is just a really good show of faith that this company actually cares about the community it's going to serve now. Um, and, you know, I don't think, obviously, you know, you gave them a couple days. I think people kind of, you know, were making snap judgments like OP is dead. I mean, there was really no evidence of that. And, you know, Atomic Mass Games has primarily existed in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. So they haven't had really an opportunity to show us what they're capable of with organized play. And now that they have these other very large Star Wars games to kind of take under their wheelhouse, I think is really going to give them an opportunity to grow that portion of their business and show the community what they're here to add to that experience. Well, if there's one thing uh, you can count on the X-Wing community to do, that is to jump to the worst conclusions uh, whenever they read <laughs> any news article. And so to have Atomic Mass, you know, respond so quickly, like that is very encouraging. Um, and like, it looks like they're, you know, thinking through this organized play thing pretty well, you know, seeing a focus on community building at the store level. Like, I mean, we really appreciate everything Fantasy Flight Organized Play has done, but I think my biggest critique of their organized play is like with second edition, that store level organized play has kind of failed. And that's, um, you know, I think the most important level of organized play, I mean, we all love uh, the big competitive events nationwide, but, you know, if you don't have a solid core um, playing at, you know, at your store level, like your community doesn't grow uh, and you need that to have a healthy game, right? You need your game to keep growing um, so that you keep getting new players interested and invested. And that's like the most important thing for a game. And so to have them start off with saying, this is what we want to focus on. We want to focus on uh, building up that store level organized play. That's very encouraging because that's that's the part of organized play that felt like it was lacking right now. And the other thing I took away from the um, Atomic Mass statement on this is it was kind of a two-parter, right? Like the first part of the statement was, it's pretty brief, uh, focused on they're going to build uh, OP for the store level. And then as 
with regards to large scale OP, they are not really making any claims right now just based on safety and health concerns, which I think is actually a pretty reasonable stance. I felt like people kind of read into that a little bit um, in the X-Wing community here about, you know, maybe large-scale events aren't going to be supported. Maybe we won't have world championships. I think more what I read from that was they were just saying, given that we don't know what the future of, like, large-scale gaming conventions is right now, are we going to see those resume next summer, two summers from now, three summers from now? Um, that's still really unclear, especially here in the United States. So I can see why they wouldn't want to commit to anything in particular, especially if it's going to be potentially two or three years down the road before those events would really get rolling. So um, I would assume, you know, if we can get back into the convention circuit here and have Gen Con next year or Adepticon or any of these other large scale events, um, I'm assuming that they will probably do an organized play event for those events because they usually draw in a pretty big crowd. Yeah, and I think the other good thing about this statement, too, and, you know, due to the health and safety concerns that we have going on in this country and around the world right now, it's it's important to make intentions clear without making promises. Because, I mean, you can always change and adapt an intention, but you can break a promise so much easier. And I think we've seen that, um, cough, cough, X-Wing app. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's good of them to come out right away and say, like, here are kind of the ground level things that we're going to try to do without actually telling people exactly what they're going to do so that people can't have their expectations subverted two years from now when maybe some things don't come to fruition. So I think some sense of ambiguity is good at this point. Like I know a lot of people like want a definitive answer because so many things are up in the air and it's a stressful time. But I think uh, for the most part, Atomic Mass is handling this transition pretty well. Well, and that's the other thing, right? Like, this is a transition. Like, this is all very new for us and probably for Atomic Mass as well. And so, like, I mean, I don't expect them to have a fully detailed, organized play plan right now. And this is honestly a lot more than I expected um, having this full statement. Let's be respectful. Let's give them time to make a good plan. And I'm sure they'll tell us in good time, right? I'll be honest, John, um, with regards to like setting expectations and, you know, breaking promises, even with all the, you know, the shift over here and the turmoil at FFG, I still very much expect a uh, fully detailed uh, points update this November. So, you know, you've got about a week left here. We don't. Well, yeah, I mean, if we don't get that points update, we riot, right? Yeah, we riot (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Game's over. Sky's falling. about the move to Atomic Mass Games? Boba Fett and Slave One still too cheap? Getting crushed in your fever dreams by spam attacks and slow slurring shot? Petronaki Arena Ace with crack shot? Petronaki Arena Ace with crack shot? Petronaki Arena Ace with crack shot? Did you leave the garage door open? Try easing your anxiety with the brand new Glitter Stim ASMR. The Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures Game ASMR channel on YouTube. Relax to the sounds of dice rolling, cards shuffling, tokens rattling, and whispered narration and list building. Carson Ray, Flying Ray with Rose Tico, Corsella, Finn, Contraband Cybernetics, Hull Upgrade, Ray's Millennium Falcon. Experience the spine tingles as you prep for your next big tournament, or turn your brain off with vision.
visuals of ships moving around the board and altered card collections. Common side effects include mild boredom and confusion. Some users have experienced a creeped out feeling. Do not take in combination with Virago, OCX, Sildenafil, Citrate, or with other ET medications. Can be used with tetrahydrocannabinol. Contact your doctor if your anxiety increases. Feel the force flow through you with Glitterstim ASMR. Type Glitterstim ASMR into your favorite search engine and click on the YouTube channel. All right, so a while ago, Carson and I, I think we did a, was it one episode or a couple episodes on uh, chess relating to X-Wing? And we kind of drew some comparisons between the very classic game of chess and the very modern but equally delightful game of X-Wing. Well, yeah, way back in the day, I coached a middle school uh, chess club and learned a few lessons and shared that. So you're basically a grandmaster is what you're saying, right? <laughs> you're approaching that level. I'm pretty sure I lost to a bunch of middle schoolers. <laughs> Carson's really the Bobby Fisher of this podcast. I've always said. Yeah, but now you know we we've all watched the Queen's Gambit on of Netflix. Uh, I guess I haven't finished yet. Um, no spoilers. But yeah, we've been excited to play chess and like I mean, I feel Tim like you paused expecting a spoiler there. Uh, Carson, uh, I got a spoiler. <laughs> Carson, I got a spoiler for you. Ready? She's a Palpatine. You ready? You ready? Uh, you ready, Carson? Pawn to <laughs> E4. You, ca- you called it. I was going to say E4 too. <laughs> Knight to E4. Spoiler. It's from episode five. You haven't gotten there yet. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be waiting for it. I'm excited. That, that sounds really good. Um, I feel like, yeah. So watching The Queen's Gambit, first of all, if you have some time, I'd recommend the show. It's great. It's one of those shows where it's a combination of the story's really interesting Really great casting, and it's just very artfully done, so visually very interesting. Um, great show all around. Would very much recommend. Um, but it did inspire, as I'm sure it did many, looking at the comment feeds on um, chess tutorial videos on YouTube, uh, inspired a lot of people to look at the game of chess a little bit more closely, which um, it did for me. I watched one 15-minute chess video about openings from chess.com, and I feel like I'm kind of an expert now. Yeah, I mean, we've played a few games, and... I. I- I mean, I thought I was decent at chess, and you, you've beaten me uh, all three times so far, Tim, so that's that's pretty exciting. I, I feel like you really... Maybe it's because I haven't finished the show. You, you learned a few <laughs> extra moves there. It's like teaching <laughs> piano lessons. You don't need to know how to play the piano. You just need to be one lesson ahead of the kid. I feel like that's kind of the sweet spot. <laughs> that feels like a pretty good metaphor on a few levels. <laughs> <laughs> that's this podcast to a T. <laughs> it's a pro move. <laughs> hey, we all got to make a make a buck here. Um, so this week we had drawn up some examples that we've pulled from chess here that do have pretty direct relationship to your X-Wing games. And I feel like, you know, if you kind of figure out these elements, um, you'll be able to improve how you play chess and how you play X-Wing. Yeah, and I'm really hoping to, you know, take the inverse of this, which is take these um, parallel lessons in X-Wing and then apply them to my chess game. So hopefully hopefully our next matches go a little differently. Um, So let's get into it, though. So uh, chess is a great game. I think that's one thing I realized watching the series and then playing a handful of games uh, with my wife, where it's just so... It's such a clean game design, um, 
which is developed which developed over you know thousands of years basically until we got the modern incarnation but um there's a lot of stuff about it that where we can draw to x-wing you usually have a pretty well-defined uh opening mid-game late game which we see in x-wing um there's a lot of comparisons between player types and play style methods. Um, so I think let, let's start by talking about one of those core elements of chess, uh, which comes up a lot actually in the Queen's Gambit. They talk about this. So obviously in chess, um, you have uh, white pieces and black pieces, and the board configuration is slightly different for them both, right? So white traditionally goes first in chess, um, and that is generally an advantage position, right? Where um, I, I'm not a chess expert. I'm not even close to a chess expert. I've never coached a middle school chess team. Um, but really, it's it's a lot about um, initiating versus, versus reacting is the way I'd kind of summarize it. Right. It's about the tempo and who kind of has control over that. And so, you know, with chess, it's like I make a move and then there's, you know, some logical reactions to that move. And so, you know, when you play first, you can kind of always be in the driver's seat. You start with that um, tempo, right? You start with that control over the movement of the game and so black is at a disadvantage because they have to find a way to take that tempo from you they have to find a way um to kind of switch that and you know then be the one in the driver's seat and there's a lot of ways to do that but that slight advantage that white has just by starting with that it is an advantage and like statistically like white wins more games but, you know, to be a successful chess player, like when you're playing at tournaments, you have to win games as white, you have to win games as black. You know, you can't just win half your games if you only win the games you play as white. And so, you know, to be successful in chess, like you have to learn how to win both sides of the board. And what's kind of crazy is we have a really great parallel of this within X-Wing. You know, when you're tied at initiative, uh, one person moves first, one person reacts, um, you know, or if you just have an initiative advantage, one person moves first, one person reacts. And especially if you're playing like aces, you're not always going to be able to move second, right? Um, you know, an X-Wing moving second is the advantage, but, um, or generally, I mean, if you're playing like swarms, maybe you want to be the one moving first, mm -hmm. um, but you might hit a matchup where they outbid you and, or they win the coin flip and they get, to move first with their swarm yeah so it really comes down to this um i think it, playing both sides of initiative and that doesn't necessarily mean you're moving first or moving last it's kind of whatever's more advantageous generally right so kind of is it a good matchup for whatever you're doing with initiative so if you're doing the aces list um generally you want to have higher initiative than all your opponent's ships if you're in a matchup where you do have higher initiative than all your opponent's ships that's kind of an advantageous place to be so you can kind of control the tempo of the game um it's it's kind of the inverse of chess where a lot of the um, the like the where you want to be on the tempo side is being able to react to things and have better knowledge than your opponent. And that'll often be the advantage for you. But in, in terms of X-Wing, this comparison between um, playing black versus white is playing both on the side of initiative where you have the advantage and the side of initiative where you don't. And, you know, if, you, if, if you're if you an ace player and you fly, you know, triple ace lists with initiative fives and sixes and you always have initiative advantage and you only win the games where you have initiative advantage, again, if you're not winning the games where you don't have initiative advantage some of the times, you're not going to win tournaments. You're not going to be successful overall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, if we look at those ace matchups, statistically, the ace player that moves 
um, second has a big advantage and they win more often. Uh, but you know, to win an X-Wing tournament, you have to win a lot of games. And part of that is probably going up against a list that does outbid you and does have higher initiative. And you can't just drop that game because they outbid you. Like you have to find a way to win those games. Yeah. And like in a tournament context too, like you're saying, um, it, winning half your games doesn't get you anywhere really if you're trying to advance in a tournament, right? Because typically you need to have at least a winning record to advance to whatever the next day or the next, uh, cut round is. And um, if you're just going three and three, that's fine. You know, that's a good good target to shoot for if you're falling below that. But if you really want to take yourself to the next level, you have to learn how to play the game both ways, which I think really means learning how to play your list multiple ways. And a, a big element of that is going to be able to take like, okay, let's say you take a low initiative list like, uh, John, when you were flying four arcs back at Gen Con, right? Sure. Yeah. So you take that list and you would have some situations where you're just at a clear advantage, right? Where you're just, the size of your ships and going first means you can just jam up your opponent and just unload on them, right? Sure, I mean, you benefit from both just sheer defensive power and sheer offensive power at the same time. But you definitely had bad matchups, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, anything that can come in and punch harder than me is definitely bad for me because I have low agility and, I mean, three shields, but those shields disappear really quick. Right, so you have to find a way, and your, your strategy is going to vary, right, depending on what you're doing. So when you're in those matchups, you know you're at a disadvantage. You know that it's tilting towards you're probably going to lose this match. So you have to kind of reinvent how you play the game, even if you've gotten used to just run, you know, running people down with your heavy offense and durability. Right. I mean, and no two games of X-Wing are the same, you know, whether you're playing, even if you're practicing for a tournament, if you're, you know, getting reps in with your list, uh, you're never going to play a practice game that's the same two times, and you're never going to play two different people in a tournament that play the same way. So having that adaptive strategy is what makes, you know, it's kind of what makes or breaks a player. um, And kind of, you know, I mean, like, all lists i think have some degree of you know good or bad to them but it's how you can adapt your strategy to use that when you are paired with a bad matchup yeah and so i feel like i have a pretty good breakdown for this It's, it's a pretty broad statement um so at the start of every game once we figure out that player order i look at my list and i look at my opponent's list and see okay what advantages do i have and what advantages do they have And the goal there is then, okay, how do I maximize my advantages and minimize my opponents? You know, so if they have that movement advantage, if they get to react, okay, how can I set up the board? How can I set up my ships to where their repositioning isn't going to be that much of a factor uh, where we can just trade shots? Um, And, you know, if you're firing first, that means, you know, you get to perhaps slip through some critical damage uh, that can impact your opponent's ability to fire back. Uh, And... You know, if you're moving first, you also get to set up blocks, right? That's going to be a, a very important way to um, seize back that tempo, right? Like, they can't reposition if you block their movement. Yeah, and I think that's been at the core of X-Wing for a long time. Because, I mean, the of the three kind of main list types there, where you're going efficiency versus the ace play versus the mid-range kind of stuff, there's always existed that dichotomy in X-Wing where, well, if they have higher initiative and they're getting to react to everything I do, generally they have an advantage and they're going to run me down. But if I can use the board state and block them, you can completely flip that that advantage on its head where they're not repositioning like you're saying, and they're not getting tokens. So even though you're generally at a disadvantage, that doesn't mean you have to be at a complete disadvantage. Right, and that goes a long way to your quality of play too. Understanding, you know, like what Carson said, what your 
strengths and weaknesses are against a list um, kind of in terms of you know both sides of the game if you get to go first what are your strengths and weaknesses and if you're not going first what are your strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. and those can be two like very different lines of thought um, but can be the difference between actually you know losing a game that you're you know quote-unquote intended to lose or winning a game you're intended to lose all right so one thing that's been happening in my games against Carson, uh, we've been playing chess remotely. Yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> no, this one's good for you. So uh, one one of my certainly one of my big shortcomings is uh, not seeing the fork come up, and this has happened a couple times where I will think I'm setting up a good board state, and then suddenly uh, Carson will slip a knight in there, and the knight is targeting my queen and my bishop. And you know, given the nature of chess, I can only probably save one of those pieces. And suddenly, through Carson's decision-making, he set up a nice little tough little choice for me. Um, in that case, it's not that hard. I got to save the queen, lose the bishop, get the knight some other time. But you can actually do this pretty often in X-Wing. Right. And so the thing here is, like, you're forcing your opponent into a tough choice, right? Like, they have to choose which piece to save. Um, in X-Wing, there's a lot more situations that kind of parallel this. You know, it's you know, choosing which ship gets the maneuver to escape your block. Uh, it's, you know, choosing uh, which ship to target. And the real trick here um, is to make those decisions tough. You know, if if it's, okay, one is clearly better than the other, then they're still getting to make optimal decisions. It's It's how do I make that a tough decision for my opponent? So, like, a good example is, like, if they catch one of my ships where it's like, oh, we you got a block, you know, um, or you you know you're just getting a decent amount of range on shots on one of my ships, well then my other ships need to boost in to a similar range so that I can maximize my offense and present similar targets for my opponent, right? If my opponent always just has one good target, they're gonna light that ship up, right? So I need to present like a pretty equally good targets. Um, you know, a good thing to do is, you know, spend those tokens on offense for the ships that you don't think they'll attack. So now, okay, they can shoot at the token ship at range one, or, you know, a few of my other ships attacked at range two and spent their focus token, right? So now that's an interesting decision for my opponent. Yeah, so this was a, a fun thing that would happen. So I remember back in first edition, if anyone remembers, there was Big's Darklighter uh, in an X-Wing. And uh, Biggs had a very, actually a very powerful ability. It didn't seem as powerful um, throughout certain parts of the game, but Biggs' ability was basically um, he could make people attack him instead of friendly ships at range one, um, which was used to a huge degree in a lot of major level events, world championships, um, eventually to the point where they had to errata it. And one common mistake when people found out that that ship card was good is they throw it in their list and like, great, I've got Biggs. And then they throw him out into a situation where Biggs was the only target. Your opponents would shoot at him, kill him, and he would die. And um, the value in Biggs was not that he would get shot at because obviously that's what your opponent wants you wants to do, right? They want to shoot at one of your ships, take it off the board, They've done their job. They don't care if it's Biggs or anyone else. The point of having Biggs was to put him in a position where your opponent had to make tricky decisions of, well, I could shoot at this ship, which I'd rather shoot at, but my other ship has Biggs and the ship in range, so I'm not going to be able to focus fire there. So do I go over to shoot at Biggs, who's not as valuable, or do I take my good shot here on the other ship? Sometimes it's hard to understand the value of uh, making a tough choice until you see it actually in action. And I feel like um, we talk a lot about 
putting pressure on your opponent. And that's kind of an important thing overall in board games where if you're not constantly keeping your opponent on edge, which is very true in chess, where you're constantly setting up attacks and trying to lock pieces down. Um, if you're not doing that, your opponent can just do whatever they want, and then they have control of the board, and they take over the tempo of the game. Well, and these are both games, too, where adaptive target priority is such an important skill, um, you know, because, you know, with your big scenario, like, yeah, you might have multiple different options, or you can focus fire on this one ship. Sometimes you have to. You know, there are certain effects that give you that. Um, you know, and there are certain extenuating circumstances in chess where, um, I mean, you don't have a specific ability of your piece, obviously, to require your opponent to focus in on that piece, but by placing them in specific positions that put that pressure, you know, on you, you know, like, do I save my bishop or do I save my queen? Like, those those strategies are very important. All right, I wanted to get down to this last little uh, chess topic we want to talk about here because I feel like, uh, John, I want you to take the lead on this one because you actually have an actual expertise in this topic. It's not just me and uh, Carson making things up as we go here. But we're so good at that, too. <laughs> we're okay at it, I think. Um, so our last point here is um, one thing they talk about in Queen's Gambit is uh, the lead character in that they call more of an intuitive player uh, versus an analytic player. And, John, you actually have a uh, uh, degree in psychology, right? I sure do, and a lot of good it's doing me. But, uh, <laughs> hey, if I can apply it to the games that I like, hey, I'm here for it. This is your moment. This is what you've been building up to. Um, so could you just tell us generally, in, in, in broad terms as possible, because people like me are not uh, super bright about psychology, um, w generally what is the difference between someone who's intuitive versus someone who's analytic? Sure. Uh, so we'll start with intuitive thinking. Uh, there's actually a Canadian psychologist named Gordon Pennycook uh, who has done a lot of research and has the data to back up that most people are inherently intuitive thinkers. Um, doesn't really have much to do with X-Wing, but um, intuitive thinking is usually, it's more gut feel um, and kind of derived from your previous experiences. So a lot of kind of feeling and emotion-based thinking is intuitive. And then a analytical style of thinking, it's usually more logical or stepwise. You know, people who think analytically tend to break problems down into parts and then try to understand and address different ways to solve those different parts. Um, you know, what is the gain? What is the loss of these, you know, kind of the, what is the sum of the parts when I'm making these decisions? And, and I know I was doing a little reading about chess because I kind of wanted to know how this applied to that game in particular. And I, I learned a little bit. So usually they don't say you're wholly one thing or the other. Um, but there are players who tend to be more intuitive. And uh, in the context of chess, that often comes in the form of maybe they're not as emotional in the game of chess because um, oftentimes they'll be, you know, intuitive, high-level players and they've played, you know, thousands of games. So their intuition has been tested over time. So they have a really good intuition because it's been, you know, practiced. Um, but they'll be more focused on problem solving in the moment um, and also taking kind of the holistic view of the game and reading their opponent when they're making decisions. So um, they won't necessarily be looking for certain patterns that they've seen before and responding to that in certain ways. Whereas in chess, an analytical player, from what I can tell, is more inclined to like see certain patterns of play and have prepared responses for those that are, you know, maybe the more uh, computer-like move where you have kind of that preloaded response to, okay, what's a good reply to this move my opponent made? Sure, and there's definitely some good situations, especially in Queen's Gambit, um, you know, kind of directly relating to chess, where, like, the intuitive thinker 
will do the obvious thing because they think they're because they feel that it's the right decision and the analytical player will do the obvious thing because they know it's the right decision yeah and i was trying to think so how would you guys describe yourself um your x-wing play style would you say you're more intuitive or you're more analytic well, I know this isn't therapy, Tim, uh, but <laughs> when John was reading those descriptions, the first one was like, oh, yeah, like definitely an intuitive player. And then he explained the analytics like, oh, yep, definitely an analytical player. <laughs> That's me. Uh, <laughs> all of them. Yes. Um, I mean, I think we're all, you know, some mix of both. Um, but, you know, to be either an intuitive or analytical player, it's like, OK, which one do you lean more towards? And I feel like that's like a tough question, like there's definitely moments where I think I'm being really analytical and there's definitely times where I catch myself saying, you know what? I just have a gut feeling. I'm going to just dial in this two bank and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like mine uh, progresses a little bit throughout the course of the game. I think for the bulk of the game, I'm probably a little bit more intuitive just because I love the nature of just problem solving in the moment with the resources you have. Um, but if anyone's seen me play X-Wing, usually my openings are actually very rigid and formulaic so i'll see what my opponent's flying i'll see how they set up and i'll set up my prepared response to that and then by the time we get to the mid game or the end game i'm just flying by the seat of my pants at that point and just making decisions as they seem right to me in the moment uh that seems like a pretty good description of my play style as well i think my openings are generally pretty planned until um, we hit the point where we hit a unique uh, puzzle and then i think i switch and go into okay this intuitive problem solving thing okay i haven't i haven't encountered this particular engagement before um how are we going to solve this you know with that obstacle placement i think with x-wing you hit a lot more unique game states yeah just just kind of by the incremental nature of it where um ship positions could be minutely different game to game more than an eight by eight chessboard. Um, John, having played both Carson and I, do you think our analyses of our play styles are correct? And what's your uh, play style? Yeah, uh, Dr. John. Dr. John, <laughs> please. Uh, are you asking me as a friend or are you asking me because I'm the only one with a psych degree? Yes. Because that's biased. Yes, yes, correct. absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, so, I mean, I think you're both pretty honest in your evaluations of your play styles. I mean, that's the that's the thing about these thinking you know styles right like you don't have to be one or the other and to be one over the other is kind of you know you're putting yourself at a disadvantage because then you can't adapt to situations mm -hmm. which in x-wing and in chess is so important um that being said i am definitely more of an analytical thinker and player um at least in my own eyes i would say that um i'd say it's probably like a 70 30 split um i'm i'm pretty pretty rigid when it comes to my play style um, and just a lot of other things as well. So like, that's the analytical part. Um, but there are definitely situations where you need to kind of just go off your gut and do something that, you know, you feel confident in, um, based on some previous play experiences you have that maybe, you know, you, you don't have the chance to just break that certain scenario down and think of the pros and cons for everything. Cause you just need to react. And that's the intuitive thinking part. Um, so yeah, like 70, 30 split. So would you guys say, okay, here's a thought about this that I just came up with on the spot. So, John, you were saying, based on that uh, Canadian psychologist research, um, that people tend to be more intuitive thinkers naturally, and they have to learn to be analytic, right? 
Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. So I think in the context of X-Wing and then looking at what little I know about chess, because clearly definitely not an expert here, um, I feel like maybe <laughs> for people- kind of frustrating. <laughs> maybe for people uh, starting X-Wing, they obviously maybe default to being intuitive. They do what feels right in the moment, right? We can see that a lot too when people make um, what a, a decision that's optimal for this turn and then sets them up for failure afterwards. That's a pretty common starting place for X-Wing players, right? Um, so maybe for X-Wing players to get good, you kind of start in that place of being very intuitive, but you don't have a lot of experience. You need to learn some analytical um, patterns in X-Wing so that you can just get through kind of the base elements of the game. So you know how to handle general situations well. And then by the time you've put your reps in and you've got a lot of games in, you're actually able to develop that intuitive thinking, but at a degree that's um, useful, right? Like that you're actually going to make uh, good decisions that can help you win the game rather than just the impulsive decisions you make not having a lot of experience. So it's kind of a pat move from maybe intuitive to analytical to then developing your actual intuitive skill of the game. Or maybe I'm crazy. No, I mean, that's that's pretty on, on track. I think a good way to kind of think about, you know, where your specific lines of thinking are going, even like during a game of X-Wing, um, and I, I would encourage anyone to try this next time you're playing a game, uh, maybe casually, um, a, a really good way to tell kind of like what line of thinking you're in as, you know, run a decision through your head and then think, does that decision, like, do, what does that elicit? Does it elicit like a should response or a should nots response? So while they might sound similar, if you immediately think I should do this thing, you're thinking intuitively. If you think I should not do this thing, then you're thinking analytically mm. because you're you're weighing the benefits and the costs of your decision. So that's a really good way to like kind of think about it on the spot. Interesting. Um, I didn't think about it. That's a, that's actually a really mm-hmm. good point. That makes sense. Yeah. So and that you know then you start to think about your decisions in a different way too, um, which you know is is always helpful and it makes you a better player in the end. Okay. So next time we're playing X Wing and you see me taking forever to set my dials, it's because now I'm arguing with you in my head about <laughs> whether this is a, a should or should not. John will now be our X-Wing conscience, sitting in our mind, <laughs> telling us what we shouldn't do. Well, and that's a strategy, too. It absolutely is, because if you can get your opponent to think you're in one line of thinking over the other, then you kind of force them to either accept that they're thinking the same way as you or thinking inversely of you, and that can make decision-making for that person very difficult. It's all a mind game. See, I like to think I do that, um, but then I just do some really dumb moves whenever I get in that <laughs> train of thought. <laughs> YOLO, five straight. It'll be fine. Sometimes the suboptimal move is the optimal move, Carson. It's all good. What? Yeah, most of the time it's pretty suboptimal, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so th- there's a couple of links to chess there. We actually had a lot more of these ideas, but we didn't want to overpack this episode. So uh, you'll probably see some more in the future at least as long as we're thinking about The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. The question I want to leave with you listeners is, which are you? What do you tend towards? Are you an intuitive player or are you more of an analytic player? Um, let us know on Facebook. You can tell us. I'm John, I'm glad we got to explore your expertise a little bit here on the podcast. I mean, more so than your X-Wing expertise, which we explore most weeks. Oh, I mean, you just drained the well. That was it. That's all I knew. <laughs> That's it, guys. And that, and this is John's departure from the podcast. Um, next week, next week we'll be drawing. Yep. Next week we'll be drawing uh, comparisons uh, between X Wing and my area of expertise, which is uh, Simpsons quotes from seasons uh, two through fourteen. 
So be prepared for that. Um, yeah, one just final thought. I mean, it is really fun. Like the chess tournament, like the structure is pretty similar to an X-Wing tournament. Even just like turning in the match lifts, like that's just really uh, fun and enjoyable to see. Uh, def- definitely a hoot. I love when you go up to turn your slip in and then you get the person who's running the desk and like, wait, you're done already? <laughs> oh, power move. <laughs> it is the ultimate power move. That's why I just salvo at the start because I feel like I want to get that feeling of dropping that slip off way too early. Yo, man, you hungry? Let's just salvo. Let's just salvo. Technically against the rules. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you like the show, please go on to facebook.com slash Radio TCX and like our Facebook page. You can also, while you're there, let us know. Are you more of an intuitive player? Are you more of an analytic player? Uh, Throw us a comment on there. Let us know where you fall in X-Wing. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. Please consider going on iTunes and leaving the show a five-star review, saying what you liked and why you think other people should listen. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider going on to patreon.com slash radio TCX and becoming a supporter of the show today. It really means so much to us. And thank you to everyone who's already supported the show. Again, folks, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Right, if my opponent always just has one good target, well, they're going to light that shit up. (laughs) 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 Carson, there are children listening. (laughs) So passionate. (laughs) I was like, I meant to say ship.